Welcome to NIL Undressed. I'm Ryan Schockner, and joining me today is the future mayor of Football City USA, or as they label it on most maps, Rock Hill, South Carolina. He's a graduate of the University of Georgia, so he's right now he's feeling what the majority of football fans feel, and that's the feeling of missing out. Um, Dr. Shaney Robinson. Doc, how are you? Ryan, glad to be here. A little bit irritated. Uh, and you missed too. I also attended FSU for a little while. So, I mean, we can go off on that tangent too. Yeah, you definitely ba a bad day yesterday, the last two days for you. Yep. Yep. We're glad to be here. Doc, I'm going to get right into it because we've got a super cool guest today. Coach Kathy Kemper, unknowingly at the time when she was in uh, a freshman in college playing tennis, helped change women's athletics. She's known as Coach to Many. She is the founder and CEO of the Institute for Education, or the IFE, a nonprofit foundation that encourages collaboration, harnessing the power of data, innovation, and soft diplomacy in the world community. Todd Park has dubbed Coach the Mayor of Civic Tech. So we've got two mayors on uh, on the call today. Um, she has a partnership with the University of Southern California. Viterbi School of Engineering, and the IFE founded CS at SC, creating free coding camps for underrepresented kids in Los Angeles, California, and around the world. Coach Kemper's work as CEO and founder of IFE, a Washington, D.C.-based nonprofit committed to engaging the global community to harness the power, again, of soft diplomacy, data, and innovation. And because of this, in 2019, Coach was recognized alongside Jeff Bezos as one of Washington Life Magazine's Tech 25, a really prestigious honor reserved for top technology innovators and disruptors. Extolled as DC's Networker-in-Chief by U.S. News & World Report, Coach Kemper regularly con convenes timely salons, forums, intimate discussions, and invitation-only gatherings that draw, now get this, Cheney, they draw senior White House and congressional leaders, distinguished ambassadors and diplomats, business executives, journalists, and technology innovators for debate and discussion. How would you like to be a fly on the wall on some of those, huh? would love that. Now, she's a former professional tennis player. Coach Kemper served as uh, head women's tennis coach at Georgetown University from 1978 to 1990 and coached Georgetown's number one player to the NCAA National Women's Division II title. They were Division II in the 80s, in 1983. Coach has spent more than 40 years coaching uh, tennis for Washington's power brokers, hitting the courts with Supreme Court justices, kings, queens, U.S. secretaries of state, through seven administrations at the White House Court, Senate Court, and Embassy Courts. Prior to her coaching career, she was a star tennis player, and her freshman year of college is really part of why there's Title IX in college athletics today. So, Coach Kemper, welcome to NIL Undressed. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's fun to be here. It's a great subject matter. All right. So I've got to ask this question. Out of all the Supreme Court and heads of state and who was the, the best tennis player that you went up against? 
Oh, well, let's see. Um, if you can say this without yeah, a phone. spot with the first one, right on the sheet. Here we go. Uh, the best tennis player. Hmm. Um, President Bush 41 was a very good tennis player. Um, there was a se senator from Louisiana named John Bro. He was a very good tennis player. And there's another person named Gene Sperling, who was in the Obama White House at the National Economic Council. He played um, varsity tennis at Michigan. Okay. And he's now in actually the Biden White House. Um, he, he was a very competitive player as well. But that's a good question, because a lot of times people say to me, you know, who was the most competitive player? And of course, they're all competitive, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, but um, not too many had ever played, you know, really serious college sports. Gotcha. Very cool. <laughs> all right. I got to get to your story, right? Because so you graduated high school in Illinois right. and you were recruited and received a tennis scholarship to attend Marymount College in Florida. Right. Where as a freshman, you you qualified for the national championships and your coach, again, a big part of the story, Peachy Kellmeyer, um, would go on to have a huge impact on college athletics, which we're, we're definitely going to dig into. But what was it about Coach Kellmeyer and the opportunity at Marymount that got you uh, to go from Illinois to Florida and, and say yes and dive in? Okay, well, um, you know, to when you're when you're a tennis player, just like any sport, I would think, um, you know, just I started playing when I was eight or so, and I was playing all the sports then, but I liked it a lot and I excelled at it, and so I did okay in the ten and under, the twelve and under, and all of a sudden, then you 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 get you do okay, you qualify for more tournaments, and you get to travel a little bit. So I grew up in a suburb of Chicago and I qualified to play in a tournament in Columbus, Ohio. Well, I mean, Columbus, Ohio, I wanted to go see Columbus, Ohio. And then I qualified to play in a tournament in Annapolis, in, not in Indianapolis. And I wanted to go to Indianapolis. Um, you know, I was a little kid and I just wanted to see new things. So I always call it my passport. Um, my, it was like my passport to leave where I grew up, um, a very nice little town, but like only people that look like me, that talk like me. I wow. wanted to see what other people look like. And then, you know, you do well enough and you qualify for a tournament in New Orleans, like the Sugar Bowl or, you know, the Nationals or the Westerns. And so as I as I got older and the 16 and under 14 and under 18 and under, I kept, I always wanted to be good enough to qualify to go to San Francisco or Oakland or wherever, any place that was just, you know, new and different. And I could meet other people. And it was interesting because it never was like, as if I wanted to be number one, you, you know, like most really good tennis players, Billie Jean King, always knew she wanted to be number one, Serena right. Williams, Chris Everett. That was their goal. Mine was not that. Mine was to travel. Like that was going to be my passport. So um, when I was applying to colleges, I got, I got other athletic scholarships, but Peachy was really the one that was 
recruiting me and made me feel very special and that like I was her person, you know, yeah. and which I, I learned from her and used a lot in my recruiting when I became the women's tennis coach at Georgetown University, that it's a real personal thing. And, and you all know the relationship between a coach and a student, what, no matter what age, is something that is extremely special. And you really can't be duplicated in other kind of relationships. So, and this was all, of course, on the phone. I mean, in those days, there was no, you know, we weren't going online or anything. Um, right. And uh, and I can remember there, Peachy, on the phone, talking to me and telling me, you know, all about the campus and who they played and that they did travel a little bit. She had a little bit of a budget for that. Not a lot, but a little bit. And um, I was just sold. I, and it was Florida. And I thought the weather would be great and I'd be able to play a lot ar uh, around. And so Peachy was a great coach. Um, she paid attention to us. Um, there were three other people on scholarship on the team. Um, and we spent, you know, it was just like a regular team that it was your job. And yep. school was secondary. Um, and that was totally that was totally fine with me. So I did pretty well in my freshman year and Peachy decided that she would apply for me to go to the national championships. And she had never had a, a, a scholar athlete before that she tried to do that with. So, you know, she sent in the application in an envelope. Um, again, nothing digital. We made sure that like my rackets were all strung and all my equipment was in good shape. And we got, um, airplane tickets and we got, you know, the housing and we're in touch with the, uh, the tournament directors and things. And we got a letter back saying that I was not accepted. Um, I was disqualified because on the application, Peachy put that I was a student athlete on an athletic scholarship. And in those days, if you were not eligible, because that meant you were on an athletic scholarship. Now, of course, every school does that. But me being the first person, Peachy didn't know the lay of the land because right. other coaches put in, you know, um, uh, they don't put in that they're on athletic scholarship. And they kind of wing it saying they're on student work study. Um, and that is the buzzword for athletic scholarship. So um, I couldn't play, you know, and it was like, whoa. I mean, yeah, it, it was as if we both got hit in the stomach big time because we were both very excited. And Peachy had played a lot of national tennis herself and was a nationally ranked player in doubles and um, and, and things. So she she understood what it felt like to not, you know, get accepted. Um, Peachy was a member of this tennis club in Fort Lauderdale where she actually did all her playing called the Tennis Club of Fort Lauderdale. And um, she would take me and uh, some of the other kids on tennis scholarship there to play with some of her friends, doubles and things like that. Um, and they were supporters of the program of the program. And um, the, I met Bobby Riggs there and he would play doubles with us and things. And he thought I had some potential. So he and he knew the story. And so he offered to sponsor me to the Pacific Northwest tournament uh, circuit that summer. 
And so I asked my parents if that would be okay. And they said, yes. And we got that organized. And during that on parallel planes, people at the, the tennis club, we would talk about like, isn't this ridiculous? You know, Kathy totally qualified. And yet through some red tape, um, she's not, she, she's disqualified. And one of the gentlemen there who was a good, he was a good tennis player from Michigan. His name was Ted Hainline. He was listening to Peachy and I knew him as well, um, but he was, you know, a colleague of Peachy's and he was an attorney. And he said, this is, this like is just ridiculous. So he took it upon himself. I remember I had to sign or my parents had to sign a piece of paper because I wasn't 21. And, you know, to participate in a legal lawsuit, you had to be 21. So I signed the paper, my parents signed the paper. And, um, and then, and then really, I, I was disassociated from it. It was really Peachy and Ted Hainline that moved it all forward. And, um, uh, and eventually, you know, it, it title line got got passed. Um, so it, it's just like a very interesting story how it how it started out. And then I went on to play in the Pacific Northwest and had a great time and um, did did pretty well. Not super great, but I got to see everything in the Pacific Northwest. And right. of course, that's my ambition, right? Um, and, uh, I played on grass courts there for the first time and that was terrific. Um, and I kind of learned the world because Bobby Riggs, you know, everybody knew Bobby Riggs, um, then, and I got a little bit glimpse into the world of fame and notoriety uh, in athletic, you know, uh, in an athletic sport. Then I went back to Marymount for my second year, sophomore year. And early on then, Peachy had been invited to be the local tournament director for the Virginia Slims tennis tournament, which is being held at the Boca Raton um, Hotel and Club, tennis club. And Philip Morris in those days owned Virginia Slims, the cigarette company. And there was a woman named Gladys Heldman, who was really the founder of Women's Pro Tennis, the Women's Pro Tour. She was very close with Phil Coleman, the um, the CEO of Philip Morris at that time. And she's the one that persuaded him to put up $30,000 a week for the Women's Pro Tour because, you know, this was going to be a great investment. And um, so Peachy was the local tournament director. And then just because I was on her team, you know, I was with her, always helping her. And I thought the whole thing was very interesting, of course, and um, I became like her, you know, her assistant, her body person, like whatever she needed, I would go and get it. Um, and uh, I learned a lot about, you know, the internal operations of running a pro tournament. I'd stay there. I'd go with her early and I'd stay there late. And um, I just thought the whole thing was incredibly interesting. And of course, being around all these great players was very interesting as oh, well. Super cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, so Peachy did such a great job that the Women's Pro Tour, um, Gladys Heldman and the woman from Philip Morris, her name was Ellen Merlo, and she was like the brand manager of Philip Morris. And now remember, I'm 18 years old, so I don't know anything, right? <laughs> um, and, um, and they asked Peachy if Peachy wanted to be the tournament director, the tour director for the whole Virginia Slims 
women's pro tour. And that would mean traveling on the tour every week, you know, and being running the tour. And so Peachy said yes. And she quit being the tennis coach at Marymount. And she asked me if I would be her assistant. And I was like, are you kidding? I mean, yes. Wow. You know, of course I had to talk to my parents and everything, but um, this was to me, I mean, the coolest thing in the world, because again, that whole idea of traveling. Yeah. Um, and I did want, I didn't want to not play. So PG said to me, um, of course, you're going to be the assistant. So you'll be my assistant. That means you have to, you know, have my back all the time. But in addition, we'll see if we can have you play some of the tournaments so you can keep your game up a little bit. And and I was able to do that. Um, and, and, and that was very exciting as well. So I did that for two years. Um, and, you know, I was thinking, has I, have I been been paying attention more to this NIL um, that has just been around a, a little over a year now? Um, I, in those days, would had had endorsements, like I was endorsing Reebok and Mondesa Dress Designs and Max Pack Coffee and Dan and Yogurt and um, what else? Teddy Tingling Dress Designs. Um, Nike, I was doing some things for Nike. And uh, so that that helped me. I mean, I did get a salary from from being the assistant tour director and I made a tiny bit of prize money, but the endorsements were really what, um, made, made ends meet easily. And, right. uh, and of course I learned so much mm -hmm. again, nothing was digital then. So you had to, you know, do talk shows and radio shows and, um, uh, and make appearances with the clothes on and, you know, photo shoots and everything. And I loved all that. So, um, I, and I, it wasn't like I had so many that it was burdensome, you know, sometimes right. people think it gets burdensome. Uh, so, uh, that's kind of the story of, uh, my early years in tennis. <laughs> that's incredible. So I want to take you back, right? I want to take you back to that freshman year going from high school to, to college and then excelling at the college level. Um, what did you learn about yourself during that time, that your freshman year, as you kind of make the adjustments going to a different level and, um, you know, the ups and downs? What what did you uh, discover about yourself that you maybe you didn't know uh, before? Well, let's see. Um, I remember very vividly that uh, the first semester, I didn't. I was really unhappy. I was incredibly homesick. Um, uh, the tennis was great, but I didn't make a lot of friends because I was always playing tennis, you know, and had a lot of obligations um, as a as a scholarship kid. Um, it, everything was new, and I, I'm always think of this is that everybody thinks college is supposed to be so exciting and this is the best time of your life, right? People don't always, you know, fall into their freshman year of college and just love it. I mean, it's not, no. un, it, it's not uncommon that it's a tough transition and, but, but people don't talk about that. And so nobody had prepared me to, think that this was horrible. And you got to talk to your family once a week on the telephone. Um, and, 
But my dad said to me, instead of, which I thought this was a, a big life lesson that I've used so much in my life coaching, he, instead of saying, building up the program, like saying, Kathy, this is such a great opportunity, you know, and she's a great coach and this is a great program and trying to make everything rosy and, and like talk me out of my feelings. Um, he said, you know, that sounds really tough. I think that sounds really tough. And I'm so proud of you for hanging in there. And listen, when you come home at Christmas, because you didn't go home at Thanksgiving, like a lot of kids do, right? Um, If you're still really unhappy there, honey, then we'll figure it out. Because that the important thing is, is that you want to be someplace that, you know, is is the right fit for you. And that was so um, satisfying and calming for me, knowing that I had an out, you know, that I wasn't going to, I, I wasn't obligated for the whole year, even though maybe I was because I, you know, I was on an athletic scholarship. And I, I think that's sometimes really good for mental health is, and I've always been a person that says, you know, hope for the best, but plan for the worst. Um, and that idea that I, 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 I didn't have to go back, that I had a choice, um, w- w- was really, really uh, extremely wise of my dad to share with me, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, uh, you know, my transition, uh, to college and, you know, there's, there's definitely a lot of bad days in there and there's good days, but it's it's a big adjustment from being at home and then all of a sudden you're you're out in the world and yeah. you got to figure a lot of stuff out. So that's how did you then how did you go uh, get at Georgetown and become the the uh, women's coach there? Oh well, um, that's kind of an interesting story too. Um, so I moved um, to Washington D.C. and I got a job as like the assistant 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 tennis coach at a fancy country club called Chevy Chase Club. And um, uh, I was put in charge of the junior program, okay? And so so I would take the juniors around to play the other clubs in our conference and, and everything. And so that was great. And I started to develop a real clientele of, um, uh, of high profile clients. Um, there was a woman at Chevy Chase club that I started teaching and she liked me a lot as a coach. Her name was Nina Auchincloss straight. And she was the stepsister of Jackie Kennedy, the, the, you know, Jackie Beauvoir Kennedy. Yeah. So she hung around in very high, Polluting, you know, circles. And she entertained all the time in Washington style, which is very fancy and um, formal. And she also had a lot of imagination and liked to mix it up. So she asked me to one of her fancy dinners, thinking that a nice, you know, um, personable tennis coach might be good company for other tennis players. And so she sat me in between the senator from South Dakota, his name was Larry Pressler, and the National Security Council advisor, Zbigniew Brzezinski. And they're both avid tennis players. Um, and of course, they were incredibly happy to be sitting next to somebody that had played pro and knew, knew their way around tennis. So they started taking tennis lessons. And I always make a joke that had I been sitting next to like 
to football players from Washington, like the commanders, and then they were the Redskins, I probably would have been teaching all the, the, the professional athletes in Washington tennis, but I wasn't. And so then just like anything, they would tell their colleagues about me and, um, and they would start taking tennis lessons. And so a, a, a friend that I was his coach, um, knew that there was an opening at a club called Mount Vernon Tennis Club, which is right in the district of Washington, D.C., and that I should apply for the job as the head tennis coach. Now, there were no head other head women tennis coaches around at all. Um, but I went and applied for the job. He, he, he helped me very much. You know, I mean, I'm grateful for him. So I became the first women's tennis coach to really run a tennis program. And then it really exploded so that all the, the muckety-muck big shots were all coming to Mount Vernon Tennis Club for lessons, either with me or with other pros that were working for me, you know, and I happened to always want to hire women tennis coaches. And so um, it, it was like very robust. And the women's tennis coach at Georgetown at that time, um, I don't know what happened to her, but she left unexpectedly. So they were looking for a tennis coach like in August. And, you know, the season started at the end of August. And so they were kind of stuck. So somehow they got my name. And I can remember this so well. The The women's athletic director called me up and I was at the at Mount Vernon in this little tennis shack, you know. And they said they one of the people, the receptionist answered the phone and said, you know, coach, um, somebody from Georgetown University is on the phone for you. And I said, well, just take a message because I was incredibly busy then. And then they person called again and they and then I talked to them and they wanted me to come and interview. And I was like, I really I have no time until you know, two weeks from now. And I'm so sorry because it sounds really interested, but, you know, my staff is booked, I'm booked, um, and I'm really sorry. Now, also, Georgetown is about two miles from Mount Vernon. So that was, you know, then I talked to my brother, who was also a good tennis player and played competitively. He said, Kathy, are you an idiot? You know, go over there, you know, cancel some lessons and interview for the job to be the women's tennis coach at Georgetown University. That is a plum. You know, that is a a really big deal. So I took his advice. I called him back. Then I, I went the next day and I got the job. So it was like just kind of a fluke, you know. Um, yeah. And, cool. and there it was interesting because um, I... Had, uh, I inherited a, 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 an okay team, not a great team, and there wasn't much money for tennis scholarships allocated to the women's tennis program. I was a part-time coach. I probably, I figured out over the years, I probably earned maybe a penny an hour, you know, one penny right. an hour all the time, but I loved it. I mean, I just, I just loved it. And um, so I started a fundraiser called Women at the Net. And I, I remember got, reading that. Yeah. Yeah. I got um, the big shots, senators, cabinet secretaries, um, you know, famous journalists to come and play with the kids on my team. And then I got corporate sponsors that would pay thousands of dollars to support the event. And um, Catherine Graham, who was then the pub, the publisher 
uh, of the Washington Post, probably the most powerful woman in the world um, at that time. I was her tennis coach. She was the honorary chairman of it. So that got all sorts of credibility that Catherine Graham, you know, was going to attend and her name and, and, and things. So everybody was really happy to come and to support it. And um, because it was a very bona fide thing. And the president of Georgetown then was a man named Father Timothy Healy. And he loved all the glitz and the glamour that um, powerful people brought. And he appreciated that, uh, that I could um, make that happen at Georgetown University. So it was a big success and we raised a lot of money. So then I was able to recruit kids. And then we raised more money because, you know, once you get a great athlete, well, then you have to provide for them. They need right. to go play tournaments. They need airfare. They need, you know, housing. They need all the things that a good athlete has. And so we were always, always begging for money um, because in those days, the university really wasn't supporting it. So I've got a, this is a good question. Cause I go back to you're a, you're a, um, you know, you're teaching tennis at the club and you get invited to this dinner, right? How old were you at the time that this happened? I think I was like 23. Okay. Something. So you're 23 years old and you're sitting in between a senator and then um, national security advisor, the, the national security. I mean, so th I think this is a good question, especially for those students, athletes out there that when they find themselves in a position when they're, you know, they're meeting with people of that, that, you know, others recognize or even business owners or that sort of thing. How did you navigate that conversation to not get overwhelmed in, you know, in the presence of, of so many, you know, big, big shots. Yeah. Um, you know, I've always been very curious. Um, and so I, I knew that one was a Senator and well, cause there are place cards right in front of you, you know, and I, and, and Nina, the host had also told me that she was going to put me, um, there. So I tried to tried to do a little research about, you know, who would be at the party and, and things. So I would I, I would know my way around some. And um, uh, so I really just started asking them questions. And, um, you know, especially there, most people are really happy to talk about themselves. Yeah. And, and um, uh, it was an easy way to get them talking and um uh, to pull them out and, and learn about, you know, what they do and things. So I, I, I remember being, you know, kind of overwhelmed and really like just looking around, at, you know, the people and uh, the table and all the waiters and, and everything. And because, you know, obviously I didn't grow up, um, having dinners like that. And, uh, and I loved it. I just thought, oh, this is so interesting. You know, all these people are so accomplished and um, and and successful and nice. You know, they because it was a small thing, they they were nice and every nobody treated me as if I was just a tennis player. Um, they were intrigued because they thought, oh, wow, you know, we've got a professional tennis player here. Um, so it 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 worked its way out. Yeah, that's very cool. 
All right. I want to shift gears a little bit to um, athletics today, right? I mean, we have, um, you know, female athletics, which I think in the last, Cheney, what do you say, the last year and a half, two years, is really starting to gain momentum. Um, So what what is your take on the kind of the state of female athletics and, um, you know, where... Where do we still need to, you know, make improvements and and um, all of that kind of stuff? Well, a little bit what we were talking about before um, before we started taping. I think you are in the the, the, the cockpit of such a, an exciting time um, with uh, NIL because it's just changed the whole paradigm, the whole landscape um, of athletes, elite athletes being able to figure out how to support themselves um, and maybe supporting themselves after college as well. Even, you know, I'll be interested to see if they don't turn pro or if their sport doesn't have a professional component to it, uh, um, how they'll continue to garner endorsements and, you know, keep their followers robust and things. I think that is going to be a whole new frontier as as well. Uh, um, So to me, it's like incredibly exciting because it's a bit of an equalizer and it's very entrepreneurial. So if you don't want to do it, you know, you just want to concentrate on your sport and your pursuing of gold medals or whatever it is, then, then you don't have to. You know, um, but if you want more and you or you want it all or you want to figure it out on how to explode yourself and and, um, also continuing in your pursuit of excellence in your sport, um, you can do it, you know, and it's not like you have to hire an agent. I mean, in my day, you had to hire an agent, you know, and then the agent would run everything. and you'd have to give a percentage of, of your earnings to the agent or the endorsement or whatever it was. Um, now it's all just so self-reliant. And, um, you know, so the skill set that these young people are, are learning, this entrepreneurial and what you guys are so good at, at um, Success Beyond, this financial literacy, I think, is um it's going to be a game changer. Uh, and I can't wait to see in 10 years, um, how, you know, and my, I think it's, it's, it's like, uh, you know, it's great for these sports that people don't even like know about or follow because, you know, you can be great at that sport and be great at social media. And all of a sudden, you, you know, you're a superstar, um, and you're making enough money to support yourself maybe way more. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, when we look at um, when female athletes are doing at NIL and actually connecting to their followers and building that relationship through social media versus, you know, some of the football players or basketball players that are just kind of relying on the sport that they play and, yeah. and, and that sort of thing. It'll be really cool to see how they, uh, as their, you know, their followers, uh, mature and as they mature, how they adapt their, um, you know, their, their brand and adjust and what they can create, you know, not just over their, you know, four years of college, but over the next 40 or 50 years, um, you know, of their life, 
how yeah. that can really, um, you know, manifest itself. But, but that's one of the things that I give it up to the ladies that, cause they are crushing it on. They um, really are. And what, tell me, because you're very deep into this. Um, I'd be interested to know, uh, why do you think the females are so much better at it than the guys? Because it's because the females are like they they have to have a little bit more grit in this area because like if you're um you know a, a football star at USC or something it it just all comes to you you know and you almost have to step back with it uh um what do you think yeah i think um i think one is what you said i think the the football players you know at, especially at the big schools a lot is just given to them right so and with the female athletes, you know, while it's better than when you played, it's, you know, there's still, uh, you know, budget shortfalls and on, on female sports and everything. And so you almost have to, like you developed the, um, the fundraising arm to solve the problem. I think there's a lot more of that that goes on in female athletics, knowing that, hey, I can't, I can't go first round in the NFL draft and make you know, a couple million dollars right away, I'm going to have to do something else with my life uh, sooner than some of these, some of these other uh, athletes will. And so that then starts the, um, the brain working and and trying to figure out, all right, what might that be? Um, And then I think, you know, women in general are just more open to share what's going on in their lives, right? Whereas, you know, you've got two guys in a bad mood sitting next to each other and they say, how are you doing? And they both say good. And, <laughs> you know, we all know that they, you know, we know they're in a bad mood. And so I think you have a lot of that, um, uh, a lot of that as well. Yeah. You know, I was watching, um, uh, they had that NIL summit mm-hmm. and um, I was watching just some of the social media from that. And one thing I noticed was that the females were much more present in some of that social media and they were dressed up and looking absolutely to the nines, you know, and had so much fun. Um, and not to, a couple guys were, but um, it was, it was very, you know, the, the women there were just incredibly awesome. I thought. Yeah. Well, and yeah. super sharp. I mean, even the ones that we're interviewing uh, on our show, I mean, all of them are, I mean, it's, you know, you hit that you get the, um, you know, in the kind of in the media narrative of this, you know, the generation coming up. And, you know, I think they probably said that with every generation that, you know, lazy and entitled and all that kind of stuff. But you're really, I mean, we, Cheney and I talk all the time, the, the, um, the kids that we're talking, I mean, if you didn't have hope for the future, listen to the show because you're going to, you're going to come, you're going to come away like, oh yeah, there's some, there's some really stud kids out there that are going to, you know, do something big. Um, So it's, it's been really, it's been fun to, um, to let them kind of express themselves that way too. Yeah, that's, and that's a wonderful thing. And that's so hopeful. And, you know, I've always been such a cheerleader and proponent of um, if you are inclined to athletics and, and and all the leadership qualities it um, it develops. And, um, you, you know, so often you'll see people that are CEOs or founders or, you know, way up in the C-suite. And um, you'll often find that 
many of them were captains of their sporting team and played, you know, whether it's not they played in college or played professionally or whatever, but they, they, they took the, you know, they're, they're competitive beings and they figured out how to, you know, move them best selves forward and be successful. Uh, you know, you look at road scholars and, you know, part of being a road scholar is you have to have, um, you have to be an athlete and, uh, you know, road scholars, there's not too many deadbeat road scholars, I don't think. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so tell us, so you retired from, from coaching tennis, uh, at no, Georgetown. No, I still coach. Oh I yeah. No, coach. uh, not at George, at Georgetown. No, right. No, yeah. yeah. Georgetown. Individual you're coaching the, you know, presidents and, yeah. you know, Kings and Queens and, you know, you know, the, the little people. Right. <laughs> um, but so, so you're coaching tennis still, but you also, started um your your nonprofit. So tell us a little bit um about um about IFE. Okay, well this will be a good story too for um your community because it just shows you uh what relationships can um do you know and develop um nurturing them through through sports. So um in 1990 my husband said to me then that Kathy you teach all these big shots tennis why don't you invite one of them to have breakfast with some of my colleagues he was in financial services um an investment banker and so i looked at him and i said that is the worst idea i'm a tennis coach you know i'm not like going to put together a breakfast with a bunch of financial wizards and, you know, a senator or something like that. And he kept at me. And finally, I, and I was, I was like eight months pregnant. And finally I said, okay, I'll, I'll do it because, you know, like what the hell I might as well do it. And I asked um, a person who was then secretary of defense, Les Aspen, he was a really good buddy, and um, uh, I was his tennis coach. And I said, Les, like, you know, my gym is, like, really bothering me to do this, and would you do it? And he said, Coach, of course I'll do it. That sounds wonderful. I would love to get off the record to talk to some really smart people that are not in my world and learn about their world. So I said, oh, Okay, well, that sounds great. And so we had the first one. I had just delivered um, my first daughter. I think I was like eight days after delivery. And that was the date, you know, that we had set up and things. Um, and we had this small breakfast in Washington and it was a big hit. Um, and my, my Les, the Secretary of Defense, loved it. And he said, let me know when you want to do it again. And Very so- cool. Yeah. And, and, and so I thought, okay. And then we, we had another one in it. Like we had Zbigniew Brzezinski, the national security advisor. Um, and so it, it, and then it became kind of a, a thing where like one time we'd had four or five of these breakfasts, but no media was ever invited. And they were still very small, like eight to 10 people and mostly my husband's colleagues and things. And I was on the White House tennis court uh, doing a doubles drill. And I had invited Wolf Blitzer from CNN. I was his coach. And I invited him to join the doubles with two other people that had access to the 
tennis court, senior people at the White House. And um, they actually had been to a breakfast and they were talking about the breakfast, you know, schmoozing uh, in doubles. And so afterwards, Wolf said to me, how come I don't get invited to these breakfasts? And I said, Wolf, you're a part of the media. And he said, and you don't think you can trust me to be an off the record person? And then I didn't mean to um, uh, offend him, of course. But I said, you're right. I should invite you. So then I, we, I invited Wolf. And then that changed a little bit because he's so high profile that Everybody then wanted to start coming to the breakfasts. So then we made it into a 501c3 and got a tax ID number and a mission statement and everything and, and had a membership. And so you had to make a donation if you wanted to get invited all the time. Okay. And, uh, um, and then it just grew and, you know, and it's taken a lot of different iterations in the last 10 years with big lean in tech technology and digital transformation. Um, before it was mostly about public policy and things. And, um, uh, and then I, that's when we founded computer science at SC because we were making this big digital transformation. Uh, so it's, it's been wonderful. You know, it's, it's, it's 31 years old now and I've just started to think about succession um, I love doing it, uh, but I don't think, you know, I'd like to be emeritus. I'd like to not be right. into the weeds every day. Um, and things. But it's still, you know, incredibly exciting because we're now we're just doing all sorts of cutting edge. You know, we were doing AI, before, you know, three years ago when no one yeah. had even laid people hadn't heard of AI, you know. Yeah. Um, and of course, now AI is all the rage. Our latest program is called Tech Bio because we think that, the, the tech is leading the bio, the engineering, the machine learning, the AI is all leading the biology, you know. And so that's a very exciting program. So as I said, very curious. And so this helps satiate my curiosity all the time. That's and, very and just cool. meet lots of amazing people. That's very cool. Well, and bringing them together too, right? I mean, that's, yeah. that's the gift of a coach, family. right? I mean, it's the team. It's not the tennis team anymore. It's just team of of other people, but you're still bringing them together and you've kind of innovated uh, throughout your life, which is really, really cool. Yeah, um, I really think that that whole idea that, um, you know, of course, when I was growing up, you know, there was no word called reskilling, um, you know, or anything like that. Now, I think everybody has to reinvent themselves um, yeah. all the time. And you have to be so agile and everything new, you have to, you know, embrace it. And otherwise, you're going to get incredibly left behind and yeah. you know you have to just be grateful um that you're in a position that you you can do this and, and make a difference and it's interesting too because you know i loved coaching and i do love coaching um but as the institute for education grew and i would get interns and then the interns that were good they would turn into fellows i started coaching them more in how to operate in the real world, not so much on a tennis court, or, or you, you know, and so that's been very satisfying seeing some of the interns now, you know, senior positions in the White House or on Capitol Hill as well, um, and seeing how I kind of helped them, coach them in that, and always wanting to collaborate and like harness the serendipity of collaboration and conversation and you know, dialogue and being interested in other people's thoughts and things. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Coach Kemper, 
Thank you so much for coming on NIL Undressed. I mean, this was a treat for me, treat for Cheney. I mean, this was this yeah. was awesome. Yeah, yeah, you guys are doing fun. such good work, and I can't wait to continue to follow you. And you know, in a year to see the changes, and then in two years and three years, I, I, I mean, it's 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 very exciting. And you, you know, you guys are innovating and. On the ground floor of it, I mean, gosh, it will be a wonderful thing. And congratulations for your whole team on the success of it and just coming up with the idea, you know. Yes. Thank thank you very much. Yeah. Yep. We appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on NIL Undressed. As always, every like, share, subscribe is greatly appreciated.